John Hansen, entrepreneur, international business expert, political commentator, podcaster, speaker, moderator, philosopher, and now one of the most famous people you'll never hear of because he's also a highly successful ghostwriter. Most important to me, he's a dear friend and trusted mentor. John networks with some of the most influential leaders in the world, and he tells their stories. His insights will give us powerful perspective on leadership today. People who inspire, empower, and guide us to our very best. Leaders who are walking the walk. Your host, leadership activist, author, and founder of the Sensei Leader Movement, Jim Bouchard. John Hansen, it's been way too long. Way too long. What's up with that? I, you know what? Life gets busy, right? You're busy. Uh, although, you know what? I mean, I still follow the, the, the adventure of the urban oasis and oh, wondering go. when are you, when are you going to Uber deliver food across the country? There it is. Of course, nobody on walking the walk knows what the hell you're talking about now, but since I bragged about you so much before the show, all right, we get, let's get, let's start off by just tell us a little bit about your different adventures because not only, you know, do I consider you one of the, one of the world's best thought leaders, most, most important thought leaders, but you network and intersect with a lot of great leaders all over the world. And uh, let's start from there. Well, I, you know, let, let's have a cautionary note. Ah. Despite a thought leader, despite being a thought leader, I still have to, Jennifer's not so my name and phone number on the inside of my sleeves in case I get lost. But that's another story. <laughs> well, that's concussions that's for, from football. That's, that's, yeah. that's for another day. Well, I mean, you know what's interesting? I'm, and I was just talking about this, Jim, not that long ago. I, I turned 60 last year, and I don't, I don't feel 60. You are older than me. Yeah. You just made my day. There you go. <laughs> Not a by much. But, yeah, yeah, grab onto yeah. it, hold it, embrace it, and there make the most of it. Anyway, yeah. uh, you know, and, and what's interesting, by virtue of living this long, there's a certain implied wisdom uh, where, oh, geez, you're 60, especially when you're dealing in a world where, uh, you know, the next generation of millennials are coming up. And, you know, what's funny is, is it's it's like that song uh, from Lennon saying, life's what happens while you make other plans. I know that's not the exact words, but you get the sentiment in there. And you turn around and you don't realize your experiences until somebody points out that you're 60 or that you've been around a long time. Right, right. And you look back at it and you say, wait a second, this has been a very, very interesting life. You know, from 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 the early days of, of business when I bought my first uh, grocery store at 19, uh, uh, to, to uh, working uh, with funding from the government of Canada, scientific research and experimental development program to create an algorithm-based, uh, one of the first uh, procurement, web-based procurement platforms to service the Department of National Defense in Canada and, and, and the New York City Transit Authority, for example, in, in the U.S., uh, <laughs> and selling that company then uh, for $12 million, right. and then having that $12 million disappear in the dot-com blow-up. Interestingly enough, as you know, uh, I survived the initial explosion, but it was about three years down the road where the aftershocks wiped out a lot of the companies. And that's the thing interesting about the dot-com is, 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 is what people don't realize is that after the initial bang and bust – uh, it, it, the the ripple effects were actually greater in some ways two, three, four years down the road because it, it just took you know uh, uh, an extra bit of time for the for the rest of the market to die. Mm. Uh, and and then you know finding myself at, at a point uh, in in late 2000s 2007 of okay what do I do now and and so I started writing and and uh, from that writing and speaking engagements uh, uh, all of a sudden I, I evolved or, or 
or, or, or transitioned to being a ghostwriter. And that's where things get really interesting because I, I, I've written many books over the last uh, couple of years. Um, and uh, I can't tell you who they are. That's the, that's the interesting <laughs> point. But but some of them are like, for example, I finished one book recently for one of the early uh, pioneers and movers and shakers in the uh, Silicon Valley days hmm. and uh, who's gone on to be a billionaire. So maybe I've hinted that kind of thing, but it was it was about the early days of their relationships in building that. Uh, but I also write articles, speeches for politicians. Uh, uh, I've written for Hall of Fame athletes, uh, professional athletes and whatnot. And it's, it's an interesting perspective that I enjoy because I like being in the background. It, it, you know, and you and it goes back to that expertise that you 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 have and bring to the table. You gain a lot of it, not only by your own experience, but by interacting with these other individuals. Many of my right, clients right. are, are uh, CEOs and presidents of major corporations, uh, North America-wide certainly, but but even overseas. And and what's happening is, is you create this cycle or network, if you will, of, of connections and insights that you know what's happening, when it's happening, before it's happening, and you write. And, it, it, you know, it, it was an interesting point my, my son had said to me, uh, once, uh, when I had done a TV interview, he said, doesn't it bother you, dad, when you write a book and it's a bestseller and nobody knows it's you? And <laughs> I said, actually, I prefer the anonymity. They, you know, it, 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 it's, it's more interesting to be able to look at somebody and say, you know, I, I, they've read my work and it's been popping up all over the place. They just don't know it's me. It's mm. kind of an inside secret. Do, do you know what I mean? No, I do. You know, and it's interesting as you were talking, what, what really came to mind, and we can do this without outing any of the people that you ghost for, obviously, but, you know, what what are some of the through lines you're seeing? Because right now, you know, of course, you know, our focus is on the human centric side of leadership and, you know, connecting leaders with with the people who trust in their leadership on a very, very human level. And, you know, to me, and this is this is not news. I mean, we've talked about this how many times. Uh, I, I strongly, I believe with every cell in my body that the age of command and control is dead. It's over, that people are that are succeeding and people are sustaining success are doing it by creating genuine connections with the people in their organizations. And so is that, you, you know, is, is that something you're seeing? What's the through line with the people that you, that you ghost for or the people you've encountered um, that are truly successful and able to sustain it? You think, you think we're on the right path or are we? <laughs> yeah, no, dinosaurs? no. Yeah. You know, there's an intersection of a lot of things relative to that relational aspect. And mm -hmm. relational is becoming a key word. Um, let, let, let's look at it from a, a, a branding standpoint for these presidents and CEOs. In the past, they, other than, and we all know who Lee Iacocca is and Watson, mm -hmm. all those guys. But generally speaking, um, these leaders uh, would be more focused on building the brand of the company than their own image. And as jobs began to change, and job security, believe it or not, going up to the highest echelons within an organization meant that it's just as easy for a VP or a president to get ousted as it is for a middle manager right. mm -hmm. these days. Uh, they've realized that we've got to create a brand and a presence and build relationships 
out there with the world because we may have to go out and, and make a move or make a new career decision. And so what ultimately happens, is you have the personal side of that equation where, again, where social media has expedited our ability to reach out to people, but not necessarily guaranteed that we could connect with them. And 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 it, part of the problem is, is that there's also a lot of noise out there. One of the famous or favorite lines that I like to talk about is Warhol's comment that everyone's favorite or famous for 15 minutes. It's true, but in the social media world, everybody's famous at the same time. So mm. it's very hard to stand out. And so what you look at is you've got the personal side where you need to build a brand and the brand is based upon the relationships you form. All right. Like even in my own business, I don't market. I don't even have business cards, Jim. It, it I, All my business comes to me referral, uh, you know, like a back alley. I know a guy who knows a guy. Mm. He'll write for you and you can trust them. So it's all relationship driven and branding and reputation. All right. So that's one element to it. Then on the business side, we're seeing some very interesting things happening there. Uh, major contracts, agreements, the structure and relationship with suppliers, uh, all of these things in way we interact and do business now. Everyone's moving towards or away from a transactional mindset of where the, right. the you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate uh, thinking to we've got to form a win win relationship and it has to be more than a punchline at a cocktail party. Mm. So you're finding that complex contracting, you're finding that relationships, supplier engagement, and including driving transparency through all of the relationships. That is another key area where relationships are becoming key, where there's no longer just a, a look on a ledger uh, of what you get from it. And let me give you an example. And this is an interesting point here in terms of relationships. You remember when the I-35 bridge collapsed in Minnesota. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. That killed a lot of people now. And, and I'm using this just as an example. What happened is, is the government needed to employ the, the city of Minnesota needed to employ a contracting process uh, using architectural techniques that hadn't been used before to rebuild that bridge within 18 months. That was the target. Part of it was to honor those who had lost their lives. Part of it was to restore a vital artery into the city. So they abandoned the way they used to do business before, which was non-relational, and then worked with their partners, open transparency, open frame, open bookwork, and they built the bridge on time on budget. The very next time they reverted to a non-relational transactional mindset and ultimately that bridge project ran two years over and way over budget. So we're talking not just relational from the soft part of it all, but we're talking about it from the way in which we do business. Now, why is this important, Jim? Because the way we brand ourselves and position our own relationships and the way we do business with our external partners is what leadership then takes in and synthesizes throughout the entire organization. Do you see what I'm saying? No, you know, and I'm so glad you brought that up because <clears throat> I, I actually resent uh, the, the label of soft when we're talking about the skills that, that we focus on. Because, you know, it, it, it was the same paradigm. It's so interesting. In martial arts, the martial arts was basically divided into soft arts and hard arts. And ironically, the what was considered the soft arts, things like Tai Chi and Aikido, actually have a tremendous amount of power. You could argue more power because you're talking about leverage. You're talking about, you know, uh, efficiencies, okay? And you're saying this exact same thing. And when we're talking about these so-called soft skills in leadership, these are the most essential, and, and, and another term for them right often is intangibles. What could be more tangible? In fact, you know, what you're talking everything you're talking about, um, this openness, this transparency, what does it really do? It really builds 
what I believe to be a leader's most important assets, most valuable assets, respect, trust, and loyalty, right? And it's so often that, that people say, although, yeah, that's, that's nice, that sounds nice, and you know I'm not lollipops and puppy dogs, so I'm not trying to be nice, but it's uh, soft. I mean, you, you're kidding me. I'll rip my hair out. It's soft. What, what could be more essential? What could be more tangible? What can you possibly accomplish without the respect, the trust, and the loyalty of the people you serve. And you, you just expressed that in, you know, in both directions, like you said, externally to the, to the partners that we develop in business and internally. And it's, it's interesting that you brought up that bridge project because that's a perfect example. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting that, that so many leaders revert back to a transactional state of mind. I don't know why. Maybe it's out of comfort. It, may, it, it might it, well, feel, you know, it might you know feel what, Jim, like it's it, less Jim, work. It, I don't it, know. What, it's just what a, I'm getting. What I'm getting back is a lot of it is change happens very slowly mm-hmm. because it depends. You see, this raised the question. In fact, I asked this as an extension of the bridge <laughs> is do we need a crisis? Right. Yeah. To yeah. make us relational. But you know, but you know what's funny? You said you said it, but you said change happens slowly. And so much. This is so, so funny. I know. I know we've talked about this in the past. Everything I'm talking. This is not new. Lao Tzu, Confucius, uh, Socrates, Jesus Christ. They, they spoke about these things <laughs> centuries ago. Right. It's It's so interesting. But they're revolutionaries in their in their ideas. Yeah, two thousand years ago, right? I mean, that's, here, here's uh, here's what's happening is, it, it, and this is where I think the transition will happen at a much more accelerated rate. Mm. We took a crisis with the bridge that brought it together. When the crisis passed, everyone reverted to the familiar, and that's what people do. Right. It's it, it. We we tend to fall back on that with which we are most familiar and most comfortable. But now the world dynamic is changing dramatically. And let's look at some of the factors here. You know, we call it a VUCA world. And I, I, I run into this a lot with the executives who I'm talking with, you know, and that's volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambigu- ambiguity. Mm-hmm. So we have an increase, uh, you know, an increase in these areas. And the uncertainty is and, and this is the irresistible uh, or the immovable object, the uncertainty does does freeze things for a little while. But on the other side, we have external factors of change, digital transformation and impacting all areas of our lives. We have for the first time in in, in, in business history, four generations, sometimes more, being employed at the same time within the same organization. Mm. You never had that kind of dynamics there. And you have a younger generation who, believe it or not, as high tech as they are, research shows that they're more inclined to prefer face-to-face, especially in a learning environment, yeah. more 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 face-to-face than they do technology. And the older generations are more technologically oriented. I'm you know, when you talk about the 50-plus, so what you have is these, these dynamics of, of requiring and demanding change, which is the irresistible force, and the, 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 the propensity to, in uncertain times, fall back on what you know because, you know, you're going to hunker down and ride it out. So, you know, what? but the change is inevitable. It is happening. You know, jobs are being redefined. Uh, they're, they're, they're talking about the fact that in 10 years, uh, jobs that haven't even been invented yet will now be on the marketplace. Yeah, it's happening it, now, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you, you see you've got these forces coming in, but the force of this change uh, is greater than, 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 than the inherent fear of it. And, and that's really the key part of it. Uh, and, and, and that's opening the door to, to, to different kinds of leadership. Mm. Uh, there is no longer any cradle-to-grave employment. We've talked about that before. There's people working from home. Uh, statistics show that side hustles are, 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 are a common uh, thread through enterprise. That mm-hmm. is, 
and not just with the younger generation either. We used to call it moonlighting when we were, right, you know, when right. we were young. But these side hustles, it's not uncommon, especially with Generation X, to have a primary job, a secondary job, and a tertiary job. And it's not it's not out of the question that a tertiary position or or, or, or endeavor can become a primary. And part of the driving factor there is is that there's no job security. So you're dealing with this volatility out there that requires. Uh, a, a change in approach, and and that goes back to the original element of what 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 are the leadership doing? What are the adaptability? What are the relationship elements? And you have to, as a leader, consistently recognize that the landscape is changing, getting ahead of it by understanding how do I adapt to that. That's a, that's a good place to let's pick that up right after the break, um, because you know what you hit on is so important. Pliny the Elder again, a couple thousand years ago, the only certainty is uncertainty, right? We'll be right back with John Hansen. The research is bomb-proof. People perform at their best when and only when they know their leaders care, when they know their work has meaning, and when they have the chance to learn, grow, and develop. To accomplish this, we need to connect with the people we serve, the people who trust in our leadership. Leaders today need emotional intelligence, strong interpersonal skills, and an accurate sense of self-awareness. I'm Jim Bouchard, leadership activist and founder of the Sensei Leader Movement. The Sensei enjoys a very special relationship with students. It's one built on respect, trust, and loyalty. And these are also a leader's most valuable assets. I help you build these relationships. I work with you to help you inspire, empower, and guide your people to their very best. That's what the best leaders do. And that's what the Sensei does. My job is to help you be the Sensei so you can lead your people to their very best and yours. Executive coaching, workshops, corporate training. Visit thesenseileader.com or call 207-751-4317 today to learn more. Who's telling your story? Does your current message engage and captivate your audience? As a writer-ghostwriter, John Hansen helps you tell your story in a way that will resonate and leave a lasting impression. He takes your thoughts and vision to a whole new level and helps you engage your audience in a way that will capture their imagination, create buzz, and drive sales opportunities. And beyond his writing and ghostwriting, John's in high demand as a keynote speaker, moderator, and media personality for webinars, conferences, and special events. Take your message to the next level. Learn more about John Hansen and all his services in, all one word, ghostwriterauthor.com. That's ghostwriterauthor.com. John, just before the break, you started talking a lot about uncertainty. Yeah. And isn't, isn't it, I mean, to me, it's a marvel about that. Again, one of the blessings of, of a lot of my work being so informed by my life in martial arts is this. That in martial arts, you learn early and you learn often. Uh, that, you know, the, the, only, the only thing you can really count on in, is change, whether that's in the moment or whether you're, you're trying to plan a life or a business or anything else. And it's consistently one of the metrics that, that measure leadership potential, your ability to deal with change and uncertainty, and yet it's, it continues to be one of the metrics that's deteriorating, right? People are just not prepared. You mentioned millennials earlier now, and, and I'll tell you a quick story. This was so interesting. Generation I is coming up, and they're starting to, to get into the workforce. The millennials are really moving into now upper middle management and executive positions. And so one workshop we did was, was so funny. Uh, somebody brought up the, the fact that she said, I can't motivate the, the millennials in my, op- in my office. I don't understand. I don't understand them. I don't understand what to do. 
I said, well, listen, somebody volunteered, a young lady volunteered to be the representative for all millennials. <laughs> so <laughs> after lunch, I said, I want you to ask that question again, but we're going to get her to answer it, right? Well, she stood up, asked, asked the question. The young lady who represented the millennials stood up and she said, you know, I've got the same problem in my office now. I've got these younger people coming in and I don't know what to do with them. And, you know, I, I couldn't have planned it any better, right? I said, right. every generation, this, this, this happens. There are differences we need to pay attention to. I, I, I also believe very cautionary. Uh, we can't judge any individual by the, by the general group, right? That's, that's just ignorant. That's, that's the definition of prejudice right there. Um, we have to take people one at a time. But these, these generalizations are useful and can be informative. And we are seeing, we're seeing a lot of change, especially in the idea that people are having a hard time dealing with just that. With change and uncertainty, so what, what well, you, are you but, seeing? But, but, how, are, how are leaders addressing that? How are they but, doing but, success, success, uh, successfully? You, you, you talked about an interesting thing. Listen, I laughed the other day because my ten-year-old said or, or nine-year-old said to me, "Whoa, I just found this great band. What? Yeah, who are they? The Beatles, right? <laughs> All right, and <laughs> but, that but goes to the point of right the now. history there because you know I, I remember reading this this opening paragraph that said today's generation is lazy. They want it all handed on a silver platter. All this this litany of of shortfalls in generation. And then I read who said that, and it was Socrates. <laughs> and if you look uh, at it, it it's it 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 it's it, 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 it the only real surprise is that people are surprised that change is inevitable. Exactly, exactly. That's the only real surprise. Yeah, I don't know if that's a biological deficiency or what. <laughs> well, again, I don't we know if anybody's to revert, gotten to the end We of it, tend yeah. to revert to the familiar or comfortable when we're faced with a with, with a crisis situation mm -hmm. or or a situation that sort of you know changes. You know, some people love being in the military. Because there's a certain there's a certainty in there, right? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's just like it, it, it's just like people in in jail. You know, you know what you're going to do every day. I'm not saying it's yeah. a great scenario, yeah. but you know, but, you, but you know, it's there's you a up comfort, the, right? You bring up the military and all the. It's so so much fun. We've had so many great military leaders, e even here on the program, and you know, these people throughout my life, and particularly throughout my career now in leadership, have informed my philosophy so much. There is comfort, there's routine, there's discipline there, right? And yet one of the one of the key disciplines that all the great military leaders, and I mean at all levels, whether they're famous or not, and you and I will agree most of the greatest leaders are people you've never heard of, right? Yep. But they always come back to the idea that one of the disciplines, one of the things you have to be most certain about is being prepared for uncertainty, right? That, that's it. Yeah. Adapt. What's the, what are the, Marine, the United States Marine Corps? They have this great slogan, right? Adapt and overcome. You know, no matter what what you face, adapt and overcome. Yep, that's it. Well, and you have to adapt. I mean, listen. You know, what was it? Eric Hoffer, great American philosopher and writer, said, "You know, the 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 the, the learners inherit the earth, while the learned find that they uh, they they inherit a world that no longer exists." Something along mm -hmm. that lines. And and what that's he was saying is yeah. that you've got to be in a constant state of learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a very black belt attitude. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, but, that, but it, a... it's, it's the way you have to be. Yeah. I mean, because once you stop, I mean, this is I mean, my life is is not measured by what I know and what I've done, but what I still need to learn. You would you would have loved uh, Professor Nick Serio is one of one of the greatest influences, um, obviously, on my martial arts, but also on my life. And he he actually defined black belt that way. He said black belt is nothing more than the attainment of a good learning attitude. And the way he explained it to us in person was, you know, he said, 
if you achieve black belt, you can substitute, you know, other life accomplishments that are similar. You said that what you've done is you've learned how to learn. And now you can apply that anywhere you want in your life. And and that's, you know, that's something that's, geez, I wish more people would would embrace that idea. Well, but but again, it goes to the heart of now that goes to the heart of what leadership is. That goes to the heart of everything in terms of, 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 of leadership. It comes down, you know, you got to be able to break it down to a simple equation. Are you willing to learn and adapt? Mm, mm. At, and any, at any time, at any age, in any situation. At any age, and listen, look at me. I mean, you know, you've probably seen posts. I, I'm running. I run. Uh, you know, I'm training for a marathon, uh, but I do 5Ks. And I just started doing that after 42 years, a year right. and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, when I first started, your body screaming at you, you know, shut up. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, yeah. You're going to die. Yeah, this left arm uh, numbness isn't good for you. You know, these kind of things that go through your head mm-hmm. uh, and didn't help. Of course, the Jennifer would say, you know, make sure you carry ID in case you do have a heart attack. But that's another story. But the reality is, is that you've got to be willing to to embrace new things, revisit things you used to do. Uh, you, you've got to just have this open every morning, waking up with the attitude of, Whatever the world has in store for me, I have a plan, but the plan has an elasticity. Now, now, how do you reconcile that with what is, by all accounts, and I, you know, I have some arguments with this. I, I see that there's, that we're trending back to a healthier mindset, the type of mindset that you and I embrace that you just talked about. But how do you reconcile that with, it, with still the critical mass we're facing of, and I don't know that it's one generation, but let's call it the entitlement generation just for the sake of discussion. This mm-hmm. idea that, you know, things I'm entitled to X, Y and Z. This should be handed to me. I shouldn't have to do all the things. I shouldn't have to worry about it. I shouldn't have to deal with uncertainty. How, how do you reconcile the two? Where, where do you see where do you see it trending? Oh, well, I think what's happening is that generation is a byproduct of our parents. My parents grew up during the Great Depression. Uh, they grew up where there wasn't enough, always enough money for food. The expectations of life were much different. Uh, in the 50s, I remember a, a gentleman wrote the book saying against happiness. And he said, in the mm, 50s, right. we didn't expect to always be happy. We we didn't expect that we'd always have this romantic love that's portrayed on, on in the movies. You know, there'd be some good days and bad days. And you look over at your partner and say, what the heck am I thinking? Mm-hmm. The, but, but, but what happened is because our parents wanted our generation, the boomers, to have it better, you know, they progressively went that route. And so boomers then came into a situation the best possible time uh, in terms of opportunities for education, mm. jobs, not, you know, affluence. The crisis and the of children, abundance. Yeah, that's right. And then the children, though, their children are the ones of where, well, we expect this because it's what we know. Now, here's what's happening. The, the, the millennials and the generation I, as you call them, are now into a world of greater uncertainty, moving very, very quickly. And so what's happening is, and I think things work in cycles, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but what's happening is this generation is not necessarily getting the same degree of uncertainty that our parents had during the Great Depression, but they're getting a, a, a higher degree of uncertainty than ever before. And they're becoming disillusioned with the world as described by their predecessors. Mm-hmm. Do you follow what I'm saying? No, and no I do. And, that, and, they, and they may be facing it and not know it. It's just that it's an immediacy. You know, we visited uh, Cuba a couple of years ago. We worked there. 
And to see that level of poverty and see that level of what you're talking about, genuine uncertainty, not knowing if the water was going to run today, not knowing if there was enough food to go around, right, and so on and so forth. And most of the folks in particularly in North America and developed areas of Europe and, and growing, I mean, and it's a good trend. I mean, I, I understand that, that it's better that people are living in better conditions. But at the same time, we lose connection with, with everything that you're talking about, right? That's why I call it crisis of abundance. So our young people sometimes, uh, because they haven't experienced this uncertainty, because they haven't seen you know genuine genuine poverty, I mean, not knowing if you have food and water the next day, um, not knowing if you can keep yourself warm enough to survive. Isn't that part of the contributing factor there, right? And and but we see it today. If if we will open our eyes and you look at Venezuela or you look at what what's happening in Iran right now, um, you know that that's genuine uncertainty. Why is it so available to us? These pictures and images and are so available. Well, stories, it's, but it's we don't social see it. media. It, mm-hmm. Like, look at the Vietnam War was the first to be televised. We had a real image of it. We had a discussion. You know, uh, if if, if uh, FDR had been in the in the TV age, he wouldn't have been elected because he was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the information gives us a chance to look at the world in a broader perspective and see those who do not have. Oh, see, but see, that's my point. Why why aren't why aren't more young people? Seeing that, right? <laughs> Embracing well, no, it. they, they, here's the thing, and this is goes they, they to They look why, at what, it, they're not seeing it, I guess. I don't well, know. no, but here's the interesting thing, and this goes where why the black belt mentality is so important, why what we're talking about is, is back, because this younger generation, the millennials in particular, mm-hmm. have, I think wrongly in many ways have been called whiners. Right, oh, right. I need help or extra hand holding. Uh, people are saying, geez, you know, when I came into the workforce, you know, I didn't have anybody showing me anything. Well, I was told here, figure it out yeah, for yourself. Yeah, you did. What's, but... <laughs> what, what's happening is, is that yeah. the newer generations are now looking for leaders. Right. They're now looking for people that can help them to look at this information that's occurring and saying, you know, they're feeling uncertainty. That's the side hustle. I, I, I wrote a ghost wrote an article on this uh, for, for a senior exec about the side hustle, how to manage a workforce that has two or three different jobs oh, and yeah. because it's challenging. And one of the things he found out that, that I – and in the research that I discovered is that uh, these people are getting extra jobs because they have no certainty – or security in the jobs that they consider to be their primary employment. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening is, is there's this outcry for, for recognizing, outcry for leadership, somebody to come in and show us the way, much like we were shown the way by our parents, right or wrong, and, and the positive as well as the negative, we had a sense of direction and right and wrong from our parents when we went out into the world. These, these, these millennials are looking for that type of direction. Their parents aren't equipped to provide it. That's why schools are in a mess. That's why discipline is a problem. So they're, when they go to the workforce, they're looking for someone to give them direction. Now, here's the thing. Intuitive leaders will not frown upon that. No, we've got to step but up. But they right? will mm-hmm. embrace that mm-hmm. and say, exactly. finally, someone's calling the wily old veteran up to the plate again. Uh, because, you know, maybe they knew a thing or two about how to play the game. It doesn't, it doesn't so, that provide so, a huge competitive advantage to leaders who are willing to do that. That's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you do what you do. It's it, it's the return to those principles. See, this is the interesting mm. thing. I talked, uh, interviewed Bob Berg once who wrote The Go-Givers. Uh, and, it, and he said, you know, I said, Bob, a lot of the principles you're talking about, uh, do you consider them your own? And he said, uh, no, I consider myself to be a torchbearer of an eternal message or principles for success. And my job is to take it from the people I learned it, carry it 
for as long as I can before passing it to the next generation to do that. See, the principles of success don't change. Mm -hmm. The values don't change. Yes, there, there's ways of doing business that evolve. There's technology and obsolescence and all these other factors. But if you look at the heart of business itself, the cornerstones, those remain the same. Transparency, relationship, honesty, integrity, uh, adaptability, the willingness to learn new things. All of these factors will never change. They haven't over the centuries and they're not about to. So ultimately, each generation, and it depends how long each cycle is, and everything does work in cycles, each generation will turn around. And in this case, we're at that, that critical point where they're saying, well, we need direction. Millennials and, and, and the generation behind them are saying, we need direction. Hmm. And instead of being met with, well, by, by the, the preceding generation, they said, well, we never got that. Uh, you know, uh, they need to have <laughs> the people step up to the plate yeah. and say, you know, get it. Well, that's, we just get it lack, because, that's just a lack of self-awareness anyway, because we did have help. We did. We can all talk yes. about mentors and teachers and guides that we had, people who inspired us, empowered us. Right. And it's like I said, served as guides for us all along the way. I, yeah, that's that's kind of a, a weird, a weird uh, mindset that I can't wrap my head. And of course, now the millennials are they're aging now. Right now they're in the position. Not only are they always looking for for guidance, as we all are. But they're the ones that are being called on to provide it, right, for the next two generations. And they there. don't know how to do it properly. Well, that'll keep us busy. <laughs> that's, that's the whole thing. They don't know how to do it properly. If you look at a lot of the millennials now who are stepping into middle management positions, yeah, right. uh, I mean, and, 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 and the growing talent gap, this is a major issue out there. In, in all industries, the talent gap between the ability to, to, to do the job that's needed in, in an increasingly uh, digital age uh, and the people who can step into those roles. I mean, it's incredible. I read the other day, Taco Bell, a fast food chain, is offering uh, its corporate store management positions of $100,000 with paid sick, sick leave. Look it up. $100,000 for, mm. for, for a management position within a Taco Bell mm. location. I can make tacos. Yeah. Well, you know, but, but that's the point. You know, Taco Bell is feeling the pitch of quality right. workers. So, right. you know, we're, 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 we're dealing in a very interesting period. But, yeah, I mean, you have to revert to the normal. I mean, let's face it, the sensei leader, the principles you've talked about, Jim, and that you've embraced and been so uh, capable of articulating uh, – you didn't invent those. No, They've been around no. for centuries. Exactly. But, but what you've been able to master mm -hmm. is understanding them and how to apply them in, 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 in the current here and now. And that's really, really the key. We have to revert to the core principles of what success are because they do not change. And then we have to be willing to look at it in the world through a, uh, through, through a non-judgmental eye uh, and, and an eye of, of adaptability and engagement. So we were able to share those views and values and be a leader right. to direct in, uh, people, uh, not by position or title uh, or, or, or browbeating, mm -hmm. but by bringing them in. And by the way, and, and I, and, and I want to diverge a little bit here you know and you'll appreciate well, this because well, we do have foot we do have to kind of close this episode pretty soon so but okay but this is just this is setting us up for the next one <laughs> that's right quick story to end with this is that uh my daughter plays soccer and sports and coaches now coddle the kids they don't yell yeah. at them they're gentle with them if they do raise their voice those coaches they're told oh you're being too rough when i went to football 
and played the game. I had a coach that would step on my stomach while I was doing leg raises with his cleat saying, is that tough enough? Do you, do you know, we get yelled at. Now, what I'm saying to draw those parallels between the two is, is that people misinterpret direction and leadership as being either soft or hard. Mm -hmm. Leadership is the appropriate measure. Sometimes you have to have, a, there's, mm -hmm. have to lay down the law in such a way with there's firmness right. and direction because it's right and you do it with conviction. Uh, but you have to have a certain amount of, of empathetic uh, understanding uh, of how to communicate that. But that doesn't mean you forego saying these are the principles by which we will do business. These are the principles by which we will work. And I think the pendulum, that's really the confusion that people have as well, is not only gaining the knowledge, but how to apply it. Well, I believe it's swinging back and it's because of work of like people like you, like leaders like you, because it's. It is coming back, and hopefully that's what we're doing, right? We're going to bridge those generations because to, ultimately that's that's the work that needs to be done. Um, we're, we're much stronger when we're working together. Let's yep. not worry about the right. <laughs> There's there are substantive differences, and there are inconsequential differences. <laughs> and a cleat on the stomach every now and then is not a bad. That's idea. That's inconsequential. There you go, <laughs> John. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you again, Jim. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Walking the Walk. Please like and share. Our mission at the Sensei Leader Movement is to support and develop human-centric leaders, leaders who put people first, leaders who inspire, empower, and guide people to their very best. Be part of the movement. Join and access all our free resources by visiting thesenseileader.com. To book Jim or host your own event, call us at 207-751-4317. 